Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. And this is Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we take a look at the races and monsters of Dungeons and Dragons and compare them to their folkloric and mythological counterparts. Today we will be discussing giants. Uh, we actually, in our campaign of uh, Thanal Wisech, which you can find on YouTube under the Tater Brain Pod, uh, we actually just got done fighting some fire giants, and they sucked. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, pretty fun to play as a as from the DM perspective. But you know, um, a really big topic today, huge in fact, a huge topic with very hierarchical set of variants that are going to be pretty fun to take a look at. So, and you know, after doing some research. Giants are going to do the same thing as fairies in an extent, uh, as they eclipse a very wide variety of other creatures that just seem to get that same umbrella term. But, as always, uh, let us discuss their D&D portions, and then we'll move on to the folklore. Okay, yeah, so. Alright, so. Um, okay, first we're going to talk about what I call the uh, Sorta Giants. Not officially under the giant species hierarchy, but just on the outskirts of it, uh, and worth mentioning. Uh, Cyclops being the first. Um, Cyclops are one-eyed giants, often described as non-religious, unsophisticated, and unwise. Though not uh, great thinkers or strategists, they are reasonably intelligent and often live simple, reclusive lives, keeping small herds of animals for food, uh, often choosing to layer in caves or ruins or or rough structures that they've constructed themselves, uh, usually within a day's travel of another cyclops or two for the purpose of trading or, or finding mates. Uh, these hermit-like, uh, cavemanish giants often seek isolation, and they don't have a lot of association with other giant species outside of the Cyclops. So that's kind of why they they escape the uh, um, generalized giants that I'm going to talk about today. Another sort of giant that deserves like a brief honorable mention here: uh, the Goliath playable race. Uh, while not a giant per se, they are at least uh, distantly related to the giants, and at a normal standing height of seven or eight feet, they are often found to be amongst the largest of the civilized humanoid races. These uh, little giants, if you will, have become increasingly popular characters, uh, being uh, mountain-born and bearing some stones endurance. Uh, one uh, can see how these large, stoic, stone-faced, stone-skin-colored mini-giants could make an alluring hero. So, with the kind of sortas out of the way, uh, let's talk the giant races of D&D. Uh, like uh, a lot of races in D&D, you'll find that there is no general race of giant, but uh, rather a, a team of variants uh, leading to many different types. Uh, now, not only are there a handful of different types of giant, they all belong to a sort of caste structure. The, uh, the highest rank of one caste is no better than the lowest of the next, so on and so forth. Uh, so... This giant caste structure, uh, laid out from lowest to highest, is as follows. 
Hill Giants, followed by Stone Giants, up up on the ladder, then Frost Giants, then Fire Giants, then Cloud Giants, and finally the highest ranked Storm Giants. Uh, there is technically a cast below Hill Giant, a cast for giant kin creatures like Fomorians and Ettons and Ogres. And, uh, you know, they may be in other episodes one day, but, but for now we're just going to kind of focus on the giants within this social cast. Uh, this cast system is known as the Ordning, as all giants in some way acknowledge that they are brethren, and this prevents uh, most territory disputes and giant-on-giant -giant conflicts. Uh, so we're going to quickly touch on each of uh, type of giant variant using the Ordning, uh, starting at the bottom of this cast system, and work our way up. So, first, at the bottom rung of the giant hierarchy is the Hill Giant, coming in at a whopping average height of about 16 feet tall, Lumbering through the rolling hills, mountain valleys, and even high mountain forests, this type of giant is often very primitive, uh, known for their voracious appetites, and are about as dumb as they are deadly. A ruddy, dirt-caked skin, uh, constantly beaten by the sun, and the smell of sweat mixes with the stench of some poorly harvested hides, crudely stitched together, creating a hide loincloth of short sorts if they're lucky. You know, straps of leather bound around it, their feet, uh, kind of like makeshift shoes, uh, you know, makeshift sandals, if you will. And then often, you know, these kind of giants are armed with, you know, a large stone or an uprooted tree that uses, you know, something to throw or a club. This type of giant in particular is likely the rural fantasy farmer's nightmare. Rather than sneak in and make off with a few cows or other livestock, like other predators in the fantasy realms, uh, a hill giant's voracious appetite is the stuff of legends. A hill giant would likely eat the entire herd of cows, before then moving on to the farmer's sheep. After that, they are likely to pop the top on the chicken coop as well, and before then heading in and stuffing their faces with whatever produce is easy to access in the nearby fields. Then before, you know, contemplating making a snack out of the farmer and his family as well. Uh, using their superior size and strength when they can, often killing and hunting small folk and their livestock, and even wild game with ease. They are, however, not that bright, and are kind of lazy, <laughs> typically bullying others, if it can, into feeding it. Uh, though there are many tales of a hill giant being duped into leaving or letting people be as well, so... It's possible that hill giants don't really know of the ordining, they're too dumb to understand it, but they do recognize the strength and size, uh, 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 do recognize strength and size, and know that uh, most other giants are much more powerful than them and that they are to be obeyed. So, with that being said, moving on up the chain here, we come to the stone giant. Granite, gray skin, black sunken eyes, generally gaunt features, coming in at a whopping 18 feet tall on average, reclusive, quiet, and if left alone, even peaceful. Preferring to dwell deep within the rocky earthen mountains in massive caverns of stone and darkness, often considering place like that holy, places like that holy or pure. In these places, stone giants create buttresses or columns in, in these sort of cavern cathedrals of such fine quality and craftsmanship that it shames the legendary stoneworking of even the dwarves. Amongst stone giants, artistry ranks as their greatest virtue. 
uh, often described as gra graceful, sorry, uh, graceful despite their size, viewing the lands between the large isolated mountain ranges much like other races view oceans and rarely crossing them. Moving on up from the stone giant uh, up the chain again, now we get to the frost giant. These creatures are at home in ice and snow. Their skin is blue as glacial ice, white or light blue hair that is usually smattered with clinging icicles, uh, coming in at a whopping 21 feet tall on average. Frost giants really only respect strength and prowess. Trophies from war or battle scars help elevate one's status. Often fierce and hardy warriors, surviving on the spoils of their raids and pillaging. Sticking to frozen tundras, ice-covered mountains, and glaciers, there is not a lot of room for farming in the natural habitats of the frost giants. So when not raiding or pillaging, they hunt the wild game of the area, often turning pelts, teeth, claws, and etc. into armor and weaponry. Once, uh, sorry, once they catch this game, they don't, uh, they do not cook it, however. Uh, kind of a weird tidbit I found, as a fresh kill is plenty hot to the palate of these giants. Looking and acting like, you know, basically large snow and ice Vikings. Uh, so once again, moving up the uh, hierarchy chain from here, we move on up to the fire giant. Coming in at 18 feet tall on average, piercing yellow eyes, a complexion ranging from ash to coal, and bright reddish-orange hair and beards. This giant, aside from dwelling in or around dangerous places like volcanoes or lava flows, are known to often be master crafters and organized warriors. Taught the legendary, uh, taught sorry, taught the legacy of war from birth, martial training, martial training becomes an integral part of their lives. Shrewd tacticians that live for combat is what they become. Militaristic brutes whose mastery of metalwork is legendary. A fearsome reputation as conquerors and soldiers, as well as, you know, a reputation in smelting, um, smith work, and engineering of metal and stone in general. Uh, all, these are all skills they seem to master. Uh, doing things like making and mixing alloys to, to the hardest armor possible, to, uh, you know, craft uh, the, the hardest armor possible, then building blades to pierce that armor specifically. Like, Usually in fortresses with serfs to do the things they, they feel are beneath them. Things like mining and farming, etc. Uh, a mix of brains and brawn, really, uh, easily makes the fire giant one of the more uh, powerful of the race, as you kind of uh, found out in the campaign recently. <laughs> and uh, now, now finally getting to the top of this crazy hierarchy, uh, on to the cloud giant. Coming in at an average of 24 feet tall, these towering humanoids are often described as muscular with light skin and having hair of silver or blue. These cloud giants, though below storm giants in the ordning, see themselves as having the highest status and power amongst the giant races. Due to the reclusive storm giants, uh, rarely interacting with others of giant kind. Sitting within castles placed at the highest of the mountain tops, if, if not placing their castles or keeps high up in the sky among solid clouds, um, solid clouds occasionally gracing the skies of the realms, uh, these magic clouds are a lasting remnant of the giant's lost empires. Uh, from here is where the cloud giant would rule their domain. 
you know, doing things like uh, pitting hill giants to battle to the death for their amusement or keeping them as brutes or battle fodder. While at the same time, probably employing a few stone giant sculptors and fire giant smithies. And they are likely to have a handful of frost giants carrying out their bidding, raiding, and plundering where they see fit. And all of this for one thing. Wealth and power. Okay, two things. <laughs> Wealth and power. Uh, how could cloud giants earn, or how do cloud giants earn their place amongst one another? Well, wealth and power in the ordning. Uh, and, and they do this by placing wondrous treasures around their homes that are often fine enough to bring esteem to the house. Not only that, but they are judged by the treasure they accumulate, the wealth they wear, and by the gifts they bestow upon other cloud giants. Sacks of gold and gems become worth less to a cloud giant than the fine jewelry that may be crafted by such materials. Uh, rather than steal or fight over these things, however, the cloud giants employ a different vice when dealing with their own kind. Gambling. Heavy gamblers with a love for high-risk, high-reward type of situations. They are also renowned amongst the giants for their spellcasting ability. So... Finally, we have made it to the top of the Ordning, the biggest and the most powerful of the giant races, the Storm Giant. Coming in at a whopping 26 feet tall on average, they are for sure the largest of giant kind. Most have pale purple gray skin and hair with sparkling emerald-like eyes. Though skin tones range between that and violet, hair color occasionally violet to a black blue, with silver or even purple eyes. Choosing to live solitary lives for the most part, in isolated refuges uh, high above the surface of the world or below the sea, that they are you know, so high or so low that they are often beyond the reach of other creatures. Uh, so high above in these cloud castles that flying dragons are barely visible specks below or uh, in algae-covered grim fortresses hidden in deep, dark, undersea rifts. Uh, these giants, kind of recalling the glory of the ancient giant empires, they often seek to restore what was lost when their empires fell, uh, spending their time living out centuries of their existence in contemplative seclusion. Much like some of the uh, distant like prophet kings or detached oracles, uh, uh, storm giants spend a lot of time watching the earth, stars, and seas for signs from their gods and the favor that that might bring. As such, uh, from almost a mortal god perspective, they have accumulated much forgotten knowledge over the eons and sometimes freely share information with those who visit them. Also, seeing the world from such a wide perspective for so long, these giants seem to be able to predict things like the outcomes of wars or the rise and falls of kings, rarely choosing to intervene directly in these inevitable matters, but may willingly disclose certain secrets to benevolent beings who visit its domain with a specific task in mind. So, with that huge mouthful being ran through, <laughs> uh, is uh, my giants uh, anything like what you've found in the uh, real life lore? There are some similarities uh, in terms of types as well as some of the behaviors. Uh, one thing I did notice while doing the folklore mythology section is that there's not so much giants as there are individual tales. 
or just them being blubbering murderers that some guy named Jack kills. There's always a Jack with a giant, it seems. Yeah, and so, I mean, that was kind of like a, you know, that was a mouthful today. <laughs> but uh, that's all I've got on the Giants from D&D at the moment. So, I mean, the mic is yours. I'm excited to, to hear what you kind of dig up. You know, I, I think the uh, the uh, giant hierarchy and, and the uh, giant sub-races that are kind of outside of this ordning are just kind of a cool, I don't know, fantasy setup in general. I think it's kind of a just an interesting way to that the uh, more modern editions of Dungeons & Dragons portray the giants. I think it's pretty cool. It is, and it gives it that nice... Uh individualism so you want to throw a giant at them but you want it fairly easy you have options you want to make it harder you have other options without necessarily having to nerf or really beef up a giant stat block in general so the one thing that we can say with giants that isn't in much dispute is that the word giant was first used in about 1297 CE in a chronicle of British, English, and Norman history written by Robert of Gloucester. The word is believed to be derived from the Greek word gigantes, which described the race in Greek mythology. From there, it goes all over the place. Let's start with the size, shall we? When people think of giants, they think of anything from about that 16 feet to titan size. I mean, big enough to walk three miles in two steps. However, throughout folklore and mythology, giants are described as anything from human-sized, such as in Norse mythology, we have the... Horton, uh, or frost giants, which were described as being human-sized. They're just twice as strong, twice as fast, all the way to the size of titans. Uh, much like with uh, D&D, there are the outside categories that are described as being giants. Uh, the Cyclops is considered a giant from Greek mythology, and the troll, ogre, have all been labeled as giants. So when we're discussing giants, it is a little bit tricky. Uh, primarily, we're going to deal with creatures that are big. However, an example of one that is considered a giant, however, is also of a human, comes from Irish. Irish mythology, and his name was, and I'm going to butcher this because Gaelic is hard as hell, and so is Celtic, uh, I believe it's Cuchulain. However, with Cuchulain, uh, when he was in his normal human form, as in you'd see him at the tavern, you would see him down the street. He was considered short, with a bulbous nose and wild, frizzy red hair. However, when he would go into battle, he literally transformed into a giant. 
grew to be nine feet tall. Blood spurts from his forehead. One of his eyes bulges from his socket. His head could turn 360 degrees like an owl. So you have somebody who in their normal calm state looks just like you, me, everybody else. But however, when he goes into a battle frenzy, he turns into a nine foot tall creature with superhuman strength and just a fierceness to, well, scare the shit out of you, to put it bluntly. The idea of giants, as we know them, uh, we definitely take a lot from Greek mythology. And with that, we are talking about Gigantis, uh, and which would come from the uh, Gigantomachy, uh, in which after the Titans were defeated by Zeus and the other gods, the giants then attacked the gods in revenge. They sided with the titans. Now the reason they ended up siding with the titans is the giants were part of the children of Gaia, or Earth, and Uranus, the sky, along with the titans. However, Uranus, fearing their power, trapped them within Gaia so they could not escape. However, after Kronos, uh, with help from Gaia, killed or says he couldn't kill, cut the dick off of Uranus and chased him away, he then freed the giants. So then being freed, they decided to defend their brother. Which, that is always an interesting story. Oh, how did you defeat the Sky God? I cut his dick off. I know, there's, I mean, the gods are always so weird, ain't they? <laughs> And so from there, we get into Norse, which is where they are known best, secondly. With Norse mythology, the very first idea of the world came from a giant, Ymir, who was huge. And from him, his, the sweat off his brows came the Jotun or frost giants and it was when odin and his brothers killed emir from his various body parts came the world from his teeth his hair his blood you got mountains and rivers and the land as well as the other creatures that could then be hunted and used for food And it is also in Norse mythology, we get the idea of the various frost giants, as well as fire giants, cloud. And this type of giant was seen as being more primal. They were the elements. And used as a way to describe the chaos that came with them. You know, why are, is there fire storms and wildfire to come through? Well, the fire giant came through and attacked everything. Why is there such a harsh wind? Well, a giant blows the cold wind. And from them, you start to see some of the extraordinary, well, they're no longer human-sized, they are titan-sized in order to be able to do some of this. 
from them, you also have love and peace. There were some who were good. They helped the gods. And in fact, they interbred with the gods in Norse mythology. The mother of Thor was a giantess. However, while the Norse did not seem to have a problem with the male gods producing with female giants, every story of male giants wanting to mate with female gods was always taken as a negative. So whenever that happened, that's when Thor would come through and beat up the giants and take them out because that was just a no-no. And so you could see that as the gods conquering the chaos of the lands and using it to produce more stuff. However, you could not allow chaos to then overpower order and control. So you get a little bit of an allegorical uh, pickup from there. Giants are also seen in Abrahamic religions, or uh, Judaic, Christian, and Islamic. And that comes in the form of the Nephilim. One idea of the Nephilim is that they were the offspring of angels and men and came to inhabit the planet alongside people. And during the Great Flood, they were all killed. Uh, and in fact, it is this belief that leads into modern day people believing giants were real and existed, which we will discuss later on. Because boy, does that go down a rabbit hole. Now, with giants, they have also been used to describe the founding of nations. Uh, Armenia was said to come from the giant Haik, who helped construct the Tower of Babel, or Babel, and was the bravest and most famous. And anybody who challenged him lost. And from here, Armenia, an Armenian said, yes, he is our founder. We are a proud people of this giant. In uh, the Basque people, they were reluctant to convert to Christianity. And so with the conquest of the Basque, it is more people attacking giants, defeating them, and proof of it are these megalithic structures or just things that look like buildings. Uh, with Bulgarian mythology, you had giants called the Ispolini, who in Bulgarian mythology, there was three types of uh, creation events. The first used dwarfs who were so small in stature, they ended up dying due to natural elements and falling prey to various normal creatures. And thus God said, yeah, you guys suck, you're out. He then used the Ypsilini and they did much better. They were big. However, they also did not worship God and would challenge him 
and their beliefs. And eventually, God said, yeah, you guys suck also. And in fact, actually, one of the funniest things about the Ypsilini is that they were said to be so big that their downfall would come at the hands of a blackberry bush. They couldn't see them. They would trip over them, cut themselves up on the thorns, and die. Now, that's, I stuck pretty, my, like, that's pretty ooh. anticlimactic for something that's so, like, supposed to be big and powerful, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've had my legs go down through a blackberry brush, and it hurt like hell. But not enough to where it would kill me. <laughs> a weird, weird giant flex there. Maybe it's like, maybe it's an allergy or something. <laughs> and going back to the Nephilim, uh, one of the most popular offspring of the nephilim came from the palestinians and what is named goliath as you spoke about they are in giant type offshoot however in the original bible he was just a large person who then challenged uh the people of israel and was defeated by david who would then go on to become king hence from his name goliath so that's going to be another one of those taller than normal people. So you're talking probably 9 to 12 feet tall and strong. However, brain defeats brawn. One of the more famous giants is, again, of Irish uh, folklore, and that's Finn McCool, who started off as an average human size in their tales. He was just strong, brave, and a badass. However, in later tales, he then became a giant. And you have what's called the Giant's Causeway, which is said to have been created when Finn McCool traveled from Ireland to Scotland. And he wanted to walk there, so he created this causeway to happen. So a natural formation that then led into these tales being told. So where did the idea of giants come from? Well, it's not hard to conceive that you look at something and you think, wow, what if that was bigger? I mean, you have the movie, I think it came out of the 1950s, called Them, which is about giant ants. It's not that we believed ants got wherever that big. It's just, well, ants are small, but they're cool and they're strong. What if we made them bigger? And oh my God, now they're giant. In that same way, you can see a human and think, wow, that person is somewhat tall. What if he was taller and bigger and stronger? There's also a paleontological uh, idea of where giants came from, and that's from the fossils of dinosaurs. There's tales of, oh, well, in this hill is buried a giant. And upon digging it up, fossils were found. Oh my God, there's large bones here. However, modern research has shown them to be elephant bones, mastodon bones, and in fact, actually the Cyclops is believed to derive from a mastodon skull, in which where the nasal cavity is was confused for an eye socket, and that would bring that one eye. There's also that blacksmiths in old times would wear an eye patch over one of their eyes 
uh, as a way to keep out sparks so that if they did take a shot to the face, they at least have one eye to continue working, even though they may have lost one. So a one-eyed creature that can build and be good with blacksmithing was not out of reach. It is also these same fossils that are used to say, hey, the Bible's real. The Nephilim were real. There were giants. Uh, I actually work with a couple guys who do believe giants roam the world and still exist. Uh, and, I mean, they're not the only ones. In doing a little additional research, uh, I found in Aztec mythology, you had the Quinametazine, or the Quinametzin. Seriously, trying to use the proper dialect in like seven different languages just oh, starts oh, throwing you, your tongue you, for a loop. You, you have for sure butchered uh, uh, some names from, from one country to the next and then the next continent over. and it, It's just a continuing butchering of, of, of names. Yep. Eventually I'm going to get to just once I should know and just butcher it because I'm trying to pronounce it in some other language finally get to something simple like john or stan and then you know put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable <laughs> anyway i digress <laughs> there was a man named Hyon smithe <laughs> all right but back to the aztec mythology the <laughs> quintumetsin uh were giants and they were punished by gods because they didn't venerate them and so they were destroyed, killed, and by the average person. However, they were attributed with building the city of Tijuanaquin. Or, again, some variation of that that I probably pissed off somebody. <laughs> Spelled like, you know, Las Vegas or something. No. <laughs> uh, in China... Uh, they had a Chinese character named Fang Fang, who was also a god and was wrongly killed. Uh, Japan has had them. Uh, there's been killer giant tribes found in uh, indigenous people folklore from Canada as well as North as America itself. Uh, there's been giant tribes that were violent and killed people in Chile. So. If you just take it as there's tales of them, therefore real, you can find a lot of evidence for it to support that because there's a lot of tales. But again, to describe a person as being big and then just imagining them taller is not a hard reach. And we've done it here in the U.S. Uh, I'm from Minnesota. And one of the most famous giants is the American Paul Bunyan, Lumberjack. Uh, original tales had him just slightly taller than a man, uh, however, with his incredible feats. But later tales then had him taller than treetops and could make mountains. And the Grand Canyon was formed by him pulling his axe behind himself. Uh, the 10,000 lakes are the 
footsteps of Paul Bunyan and Babe, his blue ox. Now, granted, this largely came from a William Lafitte back in around 1916. However, it's still showing that it's used to describe a lot of natural landmarks as how they became formed. Now, have you ever heard of the mud flood theory? The mud flood theory? I cannot say I have, no. It's a more contemporary conspiracy theory. And it's been used to describe the destruction of a, what was called the Tartarian Empire and that it was a Russian or close to Russia advanced civilization that existed and traces of it are now hit. However, this has come around, I think it was the 1800s. And you've seen buildings and stuff where it has windows barely poking above the ground, just a little bit out. It was conceived by some people that that's because these beautiful structures were built by giants. And so these were all above ground and just due to this colossal flood got buried underground. And that's also what hid the fact that giants existed. So. <laughs> I mean, so that was just like everywhere on the planet, this mudslide lowered the buildings by a dozen feet or was that like just like localized to that area? <laughs> No, I, I think they use it as part of not just the Great Flood, you know, just, oh, well, why would they build this bottom floor partially submerged? It has to be because it used to be all above ground but got buried. Well, no, it's because of stability and you still want to see out a freaking window. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and so that's just part of the fun that was giants it's a lot of tales where they were only lightly mentioned they're villains but they were oh well they were 16 feet tall as they could see into a second story house but as he laid across the road he could block an army from advancing well, it's a little bit bigger than 16 feet to do that they're pretty much the size of whatever the story needed them to be. They have been good. Uh, Roald Dahl's BFG, or Big Friendly Giant. They helped the gods in Norse mythology. And they could do productive things. However, a lot of times they were also just representatives of the elements and chaos. Uh, why does a volcano erupt fire? Because a giant is buried under there and is fuming mad and so that made research a little tricky you could find individual stories which our whole point is not to go into each named giant but a general overview but the general overview is just it was big and tall and strong and got killed by somebody who was small. A, a real brains over brawn type approach but how can you take some of what I mentioned in folklore and mythology and add it to your campaign? 
my favorite is the idea of a Kuchelain character. Imagine it, your characters walk into a store. There's a shorter, uglyish man working behind the counter. They rob him, they tease him, they do whatever. And he just goes the Incredible Hulk on their ass. <laughs> As they are not expecting it. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. That kind of gives you something to run with narratively. I also like the thought of them potentially being like super afraid of or super maybe like uh, vulnerable to damage done by like you know blackberry bush or something like <laughs> like maybe you could just put like a a hedge of blackberries around your house and it is like a giant uh, uh, ward somehow you know I like that idea. You, you create a story where an average-looking guy is in control of a giant army, and you find out his coat of arms is the blackberry bush, and that's why they all bow down to him. Exactly. Something clever like that would be great. <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, they do make wonderful enemies. They're not going to be your BBEG, uh, but they will present challenges. Uh, do you fight them? Or do you run away? Running away is very simple. However, sometimes a fight is needed. And then you could gauge the giant. Uh, which one you should use based upon that. But yeah, I tried writing down all of this in a very formatted and structured way. And it's like, well, no, I should put this first because of this. Well, no, I, I, I need to include this because I mentioned that. No, no. Now I'm in a jumbled mess. I felt like I had one of those red strings going from picture to picture to try and make it all work. <laughs> well, it came off as uh, pretty well put together, so uh, no worries there. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, do you have any questions or comments before we wrap this up? Uh, nope. Just want to point out, yo, if you guys want to listen or uh, watch me and Chris do more nerdy shit, go check out uh, my YouTube channel, uh, Tater Brain Pod, all one word. All right, and we are on socials, uh, threads, and Instagram. It is at monsters.mythos. On X, the former Twitter, it is at monsters underscore mythos. Facebook, we have a page, Monsters Ampersand, which is the ant symbol. Mythos, you can come on there, say hi. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or any topics you'd like to hear done sooner rather than later, you can also email us at monstersandmythos, all spelled out, at gmail.com. 